Hey guys, so um, today I just wanted to do a bit of a you know preview or introduction to a video that I'm coming out. It's going to be very different than anything uh, prior because this video is going to be focusing uh, on English Creoles and on this channel I have, well, on this podcast I've mainly talked about um, you know, French-based Creoles and stuff like that. Um, but I have uh, been studying a little bit about English Creoles. Um, you know, I've grown up around English Creoles, um, you know, my whole life. Um, and, you know, that's definitely something that I get a lot from my father's side. And um, so I, I wanted, you know, to um, maybe introduce that. And maybe um, uh, some of you guys will be interested in um, hearing about how things work, uh, like kind of like the Anglo side of things. Um, but yeah, some people probably don't even know that such a thing exists as an English-based Creole language. Um, well, yeah, there's definitely, you know, it's a case, it's around, um, you know, um, and, you know, you might say, well, I think a lot of people have uh, questions regarding essentially why maybe we don't really see, we didn't really see a Creolized language form in uh, most of, you know, what we call the United States now. Uh, and why is that? Um, you know, a lot of people um, contrast um, the uh, the um, the societies formed by the Spanish and Portuguese versus those formed by the uh, you know the French and the British. And a lot of people say that um, the British uh, and French um, they uh, they essentially intermix uh, less with their uh, enslaved people and that kind of allowed um, a, the Creole language to form because essentially um, for the Creole language to form, you, you have to have, um, you have to be adjacent to the European language, but you can't have too much influence because the thing is um, how it kind of works like linguistically is that if you have a population that is surrounded, let's just say by English, right? And they're around a lot of English like you know a lot and what's gonna happen is that they're going to acquire English um, and it's not gonna be a creolized form it's not gonna they're not gonna develop a Creole language but more so they're just gonna adopt ling English and that's gonna be used as a lingua franca meaning that you know that's gonna be the the language um, that allows communication between um, you know uh, the enslaved population amongst each other as well as from the enslaved population to the uh you know to the white population right and we actually did see that for example in some places for example in barbados um you know barbados was settled um early in the 1600s and the interesting thing about that is that in Barbados, there were not a lot of Africans compared to white people. Um, there were, you know, uh, the British uh, definitely did come over and settle. Um, they were also, um, you know, using indentured um, servants as well. And so the, the, 
the relatively small amount of Africans that initially settled in Barbados because there were not many of them and because they were working alongside, you know, uh, Europeans who were indentured slave, uh, indentured servants, excuse me. Um, they essentially initially did not develop a Creole language. Uh, they, the, um, enslaved people, um, developed you know, acquired the English language and that, and it was just kind of like that. And we have historical documents where Europeans commented on how the enslaved people in Barbados had such a command. They, they spoke English so well, right? Eventually, you know, uh, when you had more Africans come in and stuff like that, it, you know, it kind of changed a little bit. Um, and it allowed for the development of a, you know, Bayesian Creole as we know it today. Um, you know, I think uh, the 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 interesting thing is that you know a lot of people would maybe wonder, uh, well, how is it that you know maybe the United States, what is now the United States, didn't really develop a Creole language um, apart from Gullah, uh, but you know we saw that happen in other British um, areas. That's a complicated one, um, and right now, I mean, I don't have the best answer. I'm not going to lie to you all. I don't really have the best answer for that. There might be some scholarship in, out there that kind of explores that. Um, I do know that a couple of years ago when I was on a um, business trip, I was reading about um, you know some English careers, and I'm going to try to see if I could find um, the author and continue um, reading that scholarship, uh, but... You know, that author was essentially um, exploring the idea of, you know, w what was the situation with um, black Americans? Was it that um, there was a Creole language and then it became so decreolized that there essentially was no more Creole language? Uh, or was there just never a Creole language formed? And, you know, this author in particular, if I remember correctly, he suggested that it's probably the latter. Um, he doesn't, you know, there's doesn't seem to be evidence that there was, you know, in the mainland uh, U.S. Um, it doesn't seem to be evidence of a Creole language existing. Um, and you might say, well, why? And I think that's where kind of like the unknown, at least for me, and that's what I'm going to be hopefully looking into eventually. Um, trying to see, you know, why that is, and I'm just like kind of like racking my brain to see, because the thing is, for there not to be a Creole language, I mean, everything was set in place, and you did have these large-scale plantations, and you know, it, it might be as simple as you know the the British and later the Americans were really anal about making their slaves learn um, English. <laughs> I mean, maybe who knows, you know. Um, but what I will say is that definitely on the coastal, um, you know, the southeast coastal areas and the islands that, uh, are off the coast of this, of, you know, the American South, um, we did see a Creole language that is known as Sea Island Creole or Gullah, um, form. And, um, you know, it's interesting. A lot of people, uh, believe that it was, um, you know, just from, it was from the Caribbean, but, um, 
you know, evidence is not really suggesting that because uh, if you didn't know, the uh, initial colony of South Carolina was actually settled by, guess who? Rihanna and them. <laughs> not exactly Rihanna and them, but, you know, her, you know the Bayesians. Uh, people from Barbados actually were the, um, you know, the first people to uh, settle in South Carolina. Um, and they, for were a time, the uh, Bayesian were the only black people in the colony of South Carolina for a while prior to them um, importing uh, more African slaves. So that, I mean, is a really interesting Caribbean connection right there. And that um, suggests that, you know, for example, if you have like deep, deep, deep ties to South Carolina, you probably have connections to Barbados, you know, which is really cool. Um, and, you know, the... But but why, you know, Gullah, we cannot say that it is a derivative of Bayesian Creole is because remember what I talked about earlier, um, the, uh, the those initial slaves that were in um, Barbados did not develop a Creole language. They kind of, um, how do you say it, like they acquired English. And so they were, when they um, were taken to South Carolina, they were English speaking. And it's just that... Um, you know, um, when the new uh, Africans arrived, that's when we started to see kind of like the Gullah language, like take, you know, um, you know, I guess you could say start to develop um, over time. And, and, and I think that's definitely, you know, really interesting. And, um, you know, we're going to explore that um, in the video. You, you all will see it on YouTube. Um, and I'll definitely... Um, if you follow my YouTube channel, I'll probably, uh, um, talk about it when it comes out so you all will know, um, or you can, um, follow Charismagi TV, um, on YouTube. That's, uh, you know, um, the channel that it will be, um, coming out on. Uh, but definitely, I think it, you know, a lot of this stuff is really interesting, um, and I think, you know, one interesting thing that we can say that makes, you know, um, maybe a place like Charleston and uh, Louisiana similar. And a lot of people say people from Charleston and people from Louisiana um, sound so West Indian. And, you know, the simple answer because that is because a lot of people from those places are OK, um, like, a, you know, Charleston, it was essentially, um, I've heard it described as an outpost of the Caribbean, a British outpost of the Caribbean. Um, you know, there were a lot of, um, you know, um, sorts of connections where people like the, you know, the British and stuff like that had maybe some family in the Caribbean, some family in Charleston. Um, you know, Charleston was a port city, so um, they uh, were getting um, enslaved people from a lot of places, including the Caribbean, right? And the thing is, Caribbean slaves were actually preferred by Americans for a point in time because they were considered to be broken in, right? And what does that mean? Essentially, if you think about it, if you are importing someone from Africa who was not a slave up until now, they're going to be like, what the, like, why am I a slave? And they're going to like try to like escape maybe, or they're going to be resistant and rebellious and all of that. But if you have somebody who has been a slave for their whole life and that's their entire self-concept and that's all they know, because maybe they were a slave in the Caribbean and now they're in South Carolina, 
well, then it's good. You know, they're they're you know, I'm not saying they are not going to have a taste or a desire for freedom, but it's going to be, you know, less likely because this is what they've been doing for their whole life. You get it. Um, and we also have to consider that, um, you know, um, some, you know, uh, the Charleston area, well, South Carolina actually in general had the Huguenot, uh, um, I think it's maybe said Huguenots, uh, Huguenots, um, in English, I'm not sure, but they were, um, French people that were, I believe, Protestant who actually settled in the South Carolina area, you know, probably is trying to, like, get away from, like, France because France was, like, super Catholic, um, and you know how Catholics felt about Protestants at the time and perhaps still now, <laughs> you know? Um, it, we also have to consider something that nobody ever really talks about, that, um, guess what happened after the Haitian Revolution, the source of, uh, well, not the source, but the destination for a lot of people fleeing the, um, the turmoil that was going on in Saint-Germain was actually, uh, a lot of people went to Charleston, including, uh, the family of my fifth grade grandfather. Okay. And maybe perhaps even more. I don't, you know, um, and a lot of people don't know this because guess what? When we talk about Charleston, uh, okay. Uh, it was like, um, a lot of people, uh, not only white people came, but you had some of them kind of smuggle in there and enslave that, um, black people. Um, you know, you had, uh, free people of color come and that I think just kind of reinforced that, um, three tier system that we saw in Louisiana. It was also in South Carolina where you had a three, uh, kind of levels, a stratification of society where you had, you know, at the bottom, you had your enslaved black people, you had the, um, free people of color, many of whom were mixed race, and then you had uh, the white people. Um, and and that was, I think, very unique uh, of, you know, uh, places like Charleston, okay? Um, so you had that, like, sort of migration of West Indians to um, Charleston yet again, um, you know, I guess like a hundred uh, years later or so, a um, little bit over a hundred years later, right? Um, so we're seeing that, you know, in Charleston, we do have all of these, like, you know, there's maybe even stuff that I'm missing, um, you know, uh, in terms of like connections between Charleston and the Caribbean. Um, similarly, obviously, a lot of, um, you know, um, Saint-Domingue, uh, the, uh, you know, migrated to Louisiana. It was a, an ideal destination because, you know, they were Francophone. Louisiana at the time was very Francophone. So they were like, well, let's go here. In particular, New Orleans, um, you know, many of the Saint-Domingue, uh, actually, including, um, you know, people in my family, um, settled in New Orleans. Um, and then, um, after, you know, um, France and, you, uh, and uh, Spain got into beef, a lot of people from Cuba, um, including my fifth grade grandmother, migrated to New Orleans. So we see both of these cities very unique and, and you know, really, um, not really so much comparable to other places, right? Like, you know, Charleston and New Orleans, um, they are essentially like, 
damn near Caribbean cities um, because they have all these connections and just because of how society was developed um, and even the slavery was different you know these places were urban from way back when I was just um, you know um, telling my students about my um, eighth grade grandmother Josephine Remel okay who was a enslaved before she got her freedom right in New Orleans and this was in the 1700s you know that girl was not working on no no plantation. She wasn't working on a plantation. She wasn't, you know, picking cotton or any of that type of stuff. She was an urban slave. So she was, you know, um, urban slaves as, you know, per this one article, they were, they had totally different lifestyles, totally different and contrary to, you know, what is maybe depicted in a lot of movies. They weren't picking and working in a field. Um, they were, uh, business owners. They were, doing marketing tasks they were running um you know little shops they were peddling around selling goods around the city and stuff like that it was a totally different lifestyle totally different vibe and that um you know obviously was still slavery at the end of the day but you know that, that you know that's my point that you know these cities were very different and so i think you know um, we can't really approach them when we're talking about places like Charleston and New Orleans. We can't really approach them and, and kind of like try to lump them like, ooh, South. You, you, they, they approach, in my opinion, more so kind of like a, you know, like a Caribbean city, like, you know, like a Kingston or uh, like a Havana or like, you know, San Domingo or, you know, um, something you know like that in terms of the history the makeup of the people the lives of the people the culture um you know even the food and stuff like that um they definitely both um have you know definitely um you know retention of african elements and stuff like that and there are african elements that uh made it through in both you know the creole culture of you know louisiana and the Gullah Geechee culture of south carolina that kind of like you know were retained um so that's another similarity that they have between them um and you'll also see like other um you know um you know similar african things in terms of language and culture being preserved throughout the caribbean as well um so i actually wanted to make this kind of a trailer but um it ended up becoming like an entire episode which is like obviously fine um but definitely let me know if you want to hear more about the anglophone world i'm currently reading a book on you know about free people of color and in the um british uh you know colonies uh and i think it's very interesting because you know we typically associate free people of color with um you know the french you know we talk about you know les gens de couleur libre in haiti in louisiana and elsewhere and stuff like that les mulattes les mulatresses in like martinique and guadeloupe and stuff like that but we have to realize that in some in some places in in the um you know anglo world like charleston we did have a significant free people of color um population um and and that's something that you don't want to forget so um if you want me to share some of the stuff i learned from that video or talk about this stuff you know a little bit more um i definitely can um but yeah stay tuned for more and stay tuned in about two weeks or so we're gonna get the release of of you know my um new youtube video with maggie on cry uh, Karis Maggie TV so stay tuned for that